everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, your host for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So last week was a busy week in the education space. I feel like we're, we talk a lot about education on this podcast, but that really seems to be a critical issue to parents today. Last week, the Department of Education issued new regulations stating that every school in America needs to incorporate anti-racist practices into teaching and learning, and that funding and grants will be tied to this efforts. So school administrators will certainly have an incentive to institute these policies. Some may think, you know, what's wrong with anti-racist programs and teaching? It's good to teach kids not to be racist. It's good to see the world as colorblind. It's good to treat all people equally. Yes, that's true, that is good, but that is not what's being pushed with anti-racism. In fact, anti-racism is the opposite of not being racist. I know, try to follow me here. It is the opposite of colorblindness. It is absolutely the denial of equality in favor of the preferred term today, which is equity. We'll get into that later on in our podcast. I know this may seem confusing, and that's because it is confusing. But in the last decade, something has happened. Something very interesting has happened and kind of concerning. Both public and private schools have become immersed in identity politics. Many teachers and school administrators see themselves not as educators, but as activists eager to politicize education, throw out traditional curriculums in favor of radical leftist curriculums that teach kids to hate their country and instruct kids to treat each other not as individuals, but as members of an identity group. Um, who assign value based on immutable qualities like the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their gender identity. Parents are increasingly worried about this dynamic, but many don't know what to do or are too afraid to speak up. I felt that myself. Now, if you're on Twitter or you're following these issues, you might have seen a letter from a teacher named Paul Rossi who was taught, who taught at an elite private school in New York City, one of the most elite private schools and a very expensive school. He wrote an open letter um, where he basically said that he refused to teach anti-racist curriculum in his classroom because he said it is political indoctrination and, and it, it certainly is. Um, I don't know his exact status, but he is no longer teaching at that school. Additionally, I urge everyone to read another letter, this one by a parent named Andrew Gutman. He sent his daughter to another very elite private school in New York. Gutman wrote with astonishing frankness about this school's almost obsessive, I wouldn't even say almost, it is obsessive focus on race issues. He posted the calendar from this school called Breerly, where every single day the kids had to attend another function telling them that they were racist or telling um, them that they live in a terribly racist, awful country. Gutman ended up pulling his daughter out of the school, and not surprisingly, he has received vicious treatment on social media for having the nerve to complain. There's also been some great writing on this topic by uh, Caitlin Flanagan, Barry Weiss, and IWF's own fellow Naomi Schaefer-Riley. Naomi's own mixed-race children experienced some of this indoctrination 
at their own exclusive private school, which they no longer attend. Naomi and I actually discussed this on an earlier episode of Bespoke, so check that out. Um, These individuals, Rossi and Gottman, and even Naomi, they are extremely rare. Parents and teachers mostly stay quiet about their concerns because they fear that if they speak out, their child might face repercussions. It's a big subject, and it's complicated. So here to explain it a bit better is Nikki Neely, a good friend of mine and a brilliant thinker who has one of those rare talents of taking a very complex issue and figuring out a way to explain it so that it makes sense. Nikki Neely is the president and founder of Parents Defending Defending Education, a nonpartisan, nonprofit national organization giving parents the resources and support they so desperately need to advocate for their children's education. Prior to launching Parents Defending Education, Nikki created Speech First, a nationwide membership organization that defends college students' free speech rights through litigation and other means. Speech First has filed federal lawsuits against a number of big-name universities for violating students' speech rights. They have secured major victories at the appellate level and and have forced policy changes not only at at the schools in question, but at dozens of other schools across the country who likely want to avoid Nikki Neely and her and, and more lawsuits. Nikki has is also was also the president of the Franklin Center and at one point had a very difficult job of being my boss at the Independent Women's Forum. Nikki grew up passionate about civil liberties, thanks mainly to her family history. Her grandparents, both Japanese American citizens, were born in California and met in a Japanese internment camp during World War II. Thanks so much, Nikki, for coming on. Thank you for having me. So obviously in the introduction, I mentioned, you know, how CRT, critical race theory, anti-racism curriculums are sort of taking over, not just public schools for private schools. That alone tells you why your new organization was so needed. But tell us why you set it up and and why you think it is so needed out there today? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, 2020 was kind of a perfect storm for a lot of people. Um, my husband used to work on in a, a school choice, doing school choice litigation. Um, and I remember when everything shut down in March, we had a lot of friends reach out to us. And they said, you know, we don't want the schools to be closed, but it feels like the, the schools don't care what we want. And we would just <laughs> laugh and laugh and be like, oh, no, they don't. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, that, you know, that was one element of it. And then also, suddenly, classrooms are in people's living rooms. And I think parents suddenly had this window into what their students have been learning for many years. Um, and they were horrified. You know, your social studies prompt is what? Like, you have to write an essay about what? Yeah. Um, and I think that really freaked a lot of people out. And again, it really drove home the fact um, that families are deeply disenfranchised. Schools are not there to be responsive to families' concerns or needs. Um, and actually, kind of the thing that sort of put me over the top was, um, I'm from Chicago originally, and there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about a city where I grew up. Um, after all the George Floyd riots, the superintendent of a school district called Evanston, where Northwestern is based, said that he was going to allow black and brown children back before white children in the name of yeah. anti-racism. And I, thought, I was furious, and I thought, I remember like ranting at my husband, said, this is unconstitutional. And he said, I think a lot of people don't realize this is unconstitutional. And so... My initial thought was, well, I want to create speech first for K to 12 and just sue a bunch of these schools. Um, and in talking to people over a, a 
period of several months, um, it occurred to me that, you know, it's one thing to sue the schools, but I think we need to actually start at a much more basic level. I think a lot of people have been very uncomfortable with what they've been seeing and hearing in the news and in their children's schools, but people actually don't know where the red lines are. They don't know that if you go to a public school and your child is forced to confess their privilege or say things that they don't want, that's compelled speech. That's a First Amendment violation. Yeah. Or if your children are separated by race or by gender and they're treated differently, the little boys are told that they're part of the cis heteropatriarchy or you know, the, the white kids are told they have white privilege. Um, you know, that, that could be a Title IX or a Title VI violation. People don't know that. Um, and we've also seen a lot of families over the past year pull their kids out of public schools and put them into private schools because obviously the private schools are the ones that are open. But when you go into a private school, you actually don't have a lot of those rights. And so I thought, well, let's start there. Let's tell people where the lines are. So when the lines are crossed, they'll know what to do. And then we kind of built out from there. And so now suddenly we have all these different programs and all these different things we're doing. But I think a lot of it just starts um, from the idea that we need to empower parents again to get involved in their children's education. Yes, yes, that's critical. You know, it's interesting to me too how many people hear it's anti-racist education or it's critical race theory. First of all, I don't think, I, I, I don't think uh, the vast majority of people know what critical race theory is. and But they do, they have heard, I feel like anti-racism and Kendi's book and D'Angelo's book have become much more a part of popular culture. And so, but, in, and yet people will read these books and they all think, you know, it's, well, what's wrong? You know, I said in my intro, what's wrong with teaching anti-racism? What's wrong with equity? I mean, I think one one thing that would be helpful is what is the difference between equity and equality? Because that is a term, you never hear equality anymore, you hear equity. Tell us why that's sort of, um, you know, if, if, if I'm going to have a dictionary of words that I, I think, okay, these are, these are sort of like triggering words, right? Like what does, what does equity mean in these, in these, in this context? No, it's a great question. And that's actually, yeah, we have a whole guide on our website, understanding woke jargon, because there is honestly a little bit of a bait and switch um, because people think, okay, well, you know, equity means equality and right. so who is opposed to culturally responsive education? Like these, all these things sound very benign. But they're really not. I mean, I think a lot of us understand equity as fairness or justice, but now it means equality of outcomes. And I'm, frankly, yeah. anybody who, you know, knows two siblings, has two children, knows that <laughs> even if you have all of the same inputs, it is impossible to guarantee quality of outcomes, period. Um, and so that's when we start to see schools, we start to see districts, governments trying to gain the system to try and make sure everybody has equal outcomes. I mean, I think about that short story from Kurt Vonnegut, uh, Harrison Bergeron, where, you know, attractive people had to wear masks and uh, athletic people had to wear weights. That's essentially what we're doing in schools. I mean, we now see this trend of schools trying to get rid of gifted and talented programs because they, it, it, there's a perception that some kids, um, you know, are disproportionately represented in those programs. Well, maybe a better system would be let's make those other programs really good so that everybody, you know, we don't need to segment kids, but yeah. that's a really hard thing to ask. Um, it's a lot easier to say, we're just going to chop off these people at the knees and not let them get ahead. And you know, frankly, that makes society worse off. Well, and it's, it's lowering st we're, what we're seeing, especially in Virginia, Nikki and I, for those listening, both live in Virginia and 
I have, uh, I pulled two of my children out of the public school. The third will come out. He's finishing his elementary years and he will soon also go to a private school. Um, but in Virginia, it is really astonishing the speed with which they are implementing some of the CRT stuff, some of this, um, you know, sort of anti-racism all under the guise of equity. Um, for instance, Virginia just this week announced that they will not be allowing any more advanced diplomas. And I'm actually not totally familiar with the concept of advanced diplomas, but my quick read of it is that kids could sort of specialize or could do advanced work, and that would be indicated on their high school diploma that they have some advanced work. And that is going to be done away with. Virginia is also going to do away with advanced mathematics. Um, in middle, starting in middle middle school, I haven't read yet if they're going to get rid of what, the tag program. But th there's some other things that Thomas Jefferson High School. I know you know Asra has done, who works with you at Parents Defending Education, has done tremendous work on what they're doing at Ch Thomas Jefferson High School. And for those who who are not familiar with this high school, it is the best high school in the United States. And you actually, it is a public school, but you have to test. You have to take a test to get in. So it's Merit-based. Um, if you test well, you you're um, allowed into this high school. It's an amazing high school. It's a sort of math and science high school. And now they're get, they're doing away with that. So now just it's going to turn into just any other high school, not a merit-based high school. So these are the kinds of policies. You know, again, we're just starting to see them now. So Nikki, I really think this. Thank God for your organization. But I think parents are going to get a very quick education when they realize they've been, may have been ignoring this, but then when they realize that tag math is going away and tag of course stands for talented and gifted. Um, and it, there's no advanced mathematics in middle school, actually not until I think 10th or 11th grade. Um, can you get advanced mathematics? I mean, that's going to put a lot of kids seeking scholarships and seeking certain positions at, you know, elite school universities, that's really going to put them at a disadvantage. So I, I can see it already. Um, it's not a theory anymore. It is now policy. And we're going to see outrage from people who, I mean, who may have agreed, right, with this sort of anti-racist message. Suddenly it's going to hit them where it matters, which is with their kids. Right. I have not heard tag. I have heard GNT for gifted and talented, yes. which I also think gin and tonic um but yeah no i think you know what really what kind of what i think is really perverse about this whole thing is yeah um when you when schools start to talk about um i mean in oregon we saw them roll out their um math is racist idea which is absolutely bonkers a project funded by the gates foundation which is something that the washington free beacon uncovered i mean you think about some of the people some of the advocates who are pushing this on districts I'm sure they are still teaching their children math, right? The things that we are told that are shameful, white culture, right? Being on time, being polite. You are still teaching your children that. And so what you are doing by denying other children the, those programs, those opportunities, is you are sandbagging the competition. And I think that is sick and twisted. And it's it time is, to call those yeah. people up for what they are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and, is, and, you know, and, and also, Nikki, you see that in the – and I know we're not talking about the closed school issue here. But, I mean, you have the, the chair the, the chair of the Alexandria City School Board sends her kids to private school. This, uh, the Alexandria superintendent sent his, uh, sends his child to private school. These people are not going to be subject to these policies that they are working so hard to pass. Right. 
Um, and that's why, you know, it's been really interesting to me. One issue that we got involved in very early um, is we actually filed something called a motion to intervene in a lawsuit that was filed in New York City that aims to shut down that city's gifted and talented programs. I mean, New York City's specialized high schools are widely considered to be the crown jewel of the public education system in America. Um, and again, those, it's, it's a testing system to get into. Um, so this is something that was led by um, a bunch of activist attorneys and, uh, and an activist organization. Um, and it's really interesting to me because a lot of the parents I spoke to um, suspected that this lawsuit was done kind of in concert with the city because those programs in the city have become a bit of a political football. Um, there's a mayoral election this year in New York City, and it's something that everybody asks about. And as you pointed out, I mean, a lot of the Democratic candidates who are running for mayor in New York who are running on this whole equity pledge. Um, they all send their kids either to these specialized high schools or to private schools, right, which is right. shameful that you are trying to deny other children the opportunity to make themselves better off. And while these programs often are derided as being, oh, you know, it's just a bunch of white kids who can pay for test prep. Actually, you look at schools like Brooklyn Tech at Stuyvesant. You know, this is a lifeline for children that are coming out of poverty. 61% of the Asian children who are in those schools are actually below the poverty line. That's actually a higher percentage than the Hispanic children and the same percentage as the African-American children in, um, in New York City. And so this is not just a rich white kid program. You are directly denying poor minority children a path out of poverty. That's disgusting. Well, it's also really horrifying to think that what's happening at TJ again, Thomas Jefferson, this merit-based high school, you know, th <laughs> that is that is a direct assault on the Asian community in Fairfax County. It is these Asian children test so high. They do so well. These parents have raised these incredibly brilliant kids who test well and get into TJ. And now because I mean, <laughs> it's almost comical that because uh, what there's too many Asian kids going to TJ, they are now going to do away with the system that allows a minority group to succeed. It is so twisted. It is, it, it, it is, it's mind boggling, but listen, I want to get into, and I really want people who are listening to this to go to your site and find out some of the services that you offer, because this is a thing. I want people to understand this, this, you know, Nikki's organization isn't just a think tank where, um, and believe me, there are some great think pieces and great scholars and you have a wonderful staff there, but you, you're not just writing things, right? You are actually helping parents help their children get involved in their activities. You said it at the beginning of the podcast where you said, you know, parents have got to take a greater role in their children's education. You actually help them do that. That's a lot of, that's a, a lot of organizations will say that, but very few actually are helping parents do that. So tell us about the services that your organization offers. Sure. I mean, to me, you know, it's what, I don't want people ever to think that education is an issue that can or will be solved by the federal government. Honestly, anytime the federal government gets involved in education, they make it worse. So this is very much a state. I just, I just have issue. to say, can anyone tell that uh, Nikki's a libertarian? Okay, so go on. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you know, but also like, uh, you know, to go along with the libertarian theme, like I'm not a micromanager because you know, so many of the issues are hyper-local, right? What's going on in Tulsa is different than what's going on in Taos. And so right. just to have like chapters and a playbook, that's not going to work because, you know, one group might have a, you know, a comprehensive sex ed issue. Someone else might have the 1619 uh, curriculum being floated in their schools. And so everybody has different problems. And so let's give people the tools they need to 
um, adapt adapt to their specific circumstances. Um, and so, yeah, there's we kind of, we think of our programming in three buckets. Um, the first is empower. I mean, I think about you know the old lines on the GI Joe cartoon, knowing is half the battle. Let's let's educate <laughs> ourselves. Um, you know, we wanted there's a lot of great resources out there, like you alluded to, um, terrific white papers. You know, most people who are working in nine to five job and trying to virtually school their kids right. at this point in the pandemic are trying to also not get divorced and have a nervous breakdown. They don't have time to sort through the internet on a Tuesday night and figure out like, what is this thing I have heard about? Like, so we just wanted to collect a lot of the best articles, studies, and put them in one place so that people know like this stuff has been curated. This like this is the best of the best. Right. So that's one part. The next part is exposed. I am a firm believer in the saying, sunshine is the best disinfectant. Um, and so we have the main kind of feature of this is we have a map on our website called the indoctrination map, when nation Love is capitalized. Yeah. Um, and on this map, we are showing, um, you, can, you can break down by state or by issue, um, where different issues are taking or incidents are taking place across the country. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that kind of assume when they hear stuff in the news, ugh, it's California, ugh, it's Manhattan. Right. Um, and they don't realize this is in red states. This is in private schools. This is in parochial schools. This is in flyover country. This is everywhere. Um, and so we want to let people know this is in your backyard and you have to be vigilant. Um, but I also don't want to make people despondent. Um, and so we also on our map have um, links and little um, dots um, that denote where there are local parent groups that have sprung up around the country to fight back against this. And these are people in these communities. This is not some creepy DC astroturf thing. I mean, these are people who live in these states that have said, you know what, I've had enough. It's not a bunch of you know professional activists. They're people who have lives and kids and just have said, you know what, I'm mad as heck and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. Um, and then the last part of this is engage. I'm a firm believer in the saying, politics goes to he who shows up. I think Dick Army said that. Um, and so this is time for us to show up. If you are upset, if you are concerned, go and do something. And doing something doesn't have to mean, you know, go and start your own parent organization. Because, you know, what I realized at the end of the day, a lot of people are scared. You know, I'm kind of uncancelable at this point, thank goodness. But, um, you know, a lot of people, are, I think, they credibly fear repercussions, retaliation, losing their job, being docked. I mean, you know, the people who push this stuff are really, really nefarious sometimes. Um, so we want to give people a menu of options that they can engage on. It could be anything from send us an anonymous tip and we'll put it up on the website. We'll look into it. Um, we can help file a FOIA. We can teach you how to file a FOIA. We have filed a bunch of complaints through the Federal Department of Education's um, Office of Civil Rights. Um, but also, we just have how-to guides on how to write a, a letter to the editor, how to write yep. an op-ed, um, how to start a parent group, how to create an anonymous Instagram account, which has been used to great effect at a number of private schools around the country. Um, everybody can do something because honestly, there are a majority of Americans right now that are deeply unhappy. It's just people are silent. People are siloed because the opposition has really terrified people. Yeah. And that's why we want to send a message and show them that there are thousands of us out there. There are hundreds of thousands of us out there. And so it's time to pick up your tools and fight. Don't just stand on the side. Don't just stay on Twitter. Get out and do something about it. This is the most important fight of our lives. You guys are, I want to talk a little bit about your team because one of the things that I love is like we sort of live in the era of squads, right? AOC and her squad, which normally I find this all kind of silly, but you guys are kind of a squad. So uh, parents defending <laughs> education here. Okay, so Nikki, my good friend Nikki, who is on the, the phone with me now, um, but also Asra Nomani, who if you're on Twitter, it's so funny because we mentioned on Twitter and I know a lot of parents aren't, but Asra is an absolute 
fierce warrior for education. And her son actually goes to TJ, which is, I keep bringing up, but it's this really remarkable high school um, where kids are tested. And so she's been really involved in the fight for TJ, but she's a great asset here too, because she has fought as a mom. She has had these fights on Twitter. She has been attacked by her school board. She has, has faced people libeling her, people saying terrible things about her. And so she has faced this and fought it and understands that fear that parents feel. And I'm going to tell you, tell you, I feel it too. When I talk about this stuff, I feel very nervous. And so I think it's great that you also have this, you know, have Astra there and also Erica Sanzi, who I think is my favorite person in the world, except for you, right? I've got to say that quickly, but Erica is so phenomenal. She has served, I think on a school board and she has, um, you know, she has kids and, and, the great thing about Erica is all, you know, she has one kid in private and one kid in public and one kid somewhere else. And so she sort of experienced the different types of education that there is. So I really want to compliment who you have at, at the organization. I think that's important that people know that these aren't, like you said, some random AstroTurf organization. These are moms who are currently fighting this right now and understand how it feels to be a parent kind of feeling helpless at times, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's so interesting is, you know, people are well, across the country. Um, and also, Astra is a former investigative journalist. Which That's I right. Think is so, she picks up on these little threads um, and she pulls them together. And so it's not just what's going on in the school. It's connecting the dots to, oh, well, what's happening in Virginia is also what's happening in Boston, is also what's happening in Texas. And then, oh, this consultant was hired by this place. And so, just to pull all of that together, I mean, she has been sniffing out, I call it the diversity industrial <laughs> complex, because there are billions of dollars behind all of this, right. um, being you know, pushed against parents' wills, oftentimes, somewhat surprisingly, pushed against a lot of teachers' wills. A lot of our tips come from teachers who don't like what's being shoved down their throats either. Right. Um, and so there is this kind of you know, underground resistance of people who are out there. And then you know, people like us that will stick our heads out and say, you yeah. know what, like, if God's going to come, come for me. Um, yeah. But this is it. You mentioned, you know, teachers, you know, and this is one interesting sort of segue into that. There was a teacher in New York City um, who who objected. Rossi was his his name. And I can't remember the private school that he 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 taught at, but a very elite New York City private school, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. And he wrote this absolutely withering um, letter, sort of open letter letter about um, what he's being asked to do and essentially indoctrinate his kids and he, uh, the kids in his classroom. And he said he wouldn't do it. He, has he been fired from that job for, for reporting that? I, I know he was told to not go into the school because um, they, they said that there were some security threats. Um, but I uh, don't know if he has totally fired or not. The whole thing seems a little bit questionable, quite honestly. Yeah, well, it is, but it is, um, it was incredibly brave. And of course, the, another yeah. uh, a, a father, uh, I, I think um, his last name's Gutman. I can't remember. I think it's Fred Gutman. But um, the the he's also received a lot of harassment online. And again, I don't mean to scare people or say, oh, don't do it. But these are incredibly, and I encourage everyone um, to, to look up those letters and read them because it is very brave what they did. And I think it is going to become easier, you know, uh, sort of, you know, there's safety in numbers and I think it's going to become easier. But I think also when we start to see, I'd mentioned, you know, Virginia getting rid of tag math or 
GNT math, however you want to say it, and um, and these advanced diplomas. I mean, I think there's going to actually be things that start to harm people in a way that they recognize. And so I, you know, I, I people have really got to get active. The one thing that I love about your organization, and I I want to wrap up on this is 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 that you and you mentioned it, but. I love the idea of you can give a tip an- anonymously. Um, I have enjoyed giving tips through that, <laughs> that site. I feel like it's sort of, it's like, um, it's cleansing. It makes me, it works out my anger issues because it, but it is important to give people an anonymous outlet. And as you mentioned, you know, Asra is working for you. She's an investigative reporter. It's not that these things are just reported, you know, and with no checking. Um, tell us a little bit about that tip that tip line that you have and what happens with those tips? Sure. Yeah. They come in through our portal. People can check a box actually to specifically denote if they like to be anonymous or not. Um, But people can upload files. They can send PDFs, screenshots, videos, URLs, um, just to let us know what's going on. Um, Because there are a few reporters out there like Chris Rufo, like Barry Weiss that have been reporting on this. I mean, honestly, we could create 50 more of them. There is so much material and it is heartbreaking. And a lot of these people, they just want to be heard. They want, they want, they need a little bit of reinsurance and not crazy. And they're not crazy. I mean, so it, it's astonishing. Yeah. So when the tips That's- come in, it goes into our system. Um, we, and we bet everything. I mean, we're not going to put something up on our map if we don't chase it down. Um, we definitely, we go to great lengths to make sure that um, we, we, it's, it's not able, we, nobody can tell when they read a tip where it's come from. Um, and we also won't just throw up hearsay. We want some proof. We want some documentation. We want some backup. And if somebody doesn't have it, it's not the end of the world. I mean, we will chase down and often where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, but we do, you know, we want to be able to, to stand behind everything that is up on our website. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get on the phone with people. Um, we have these tips that we then hand off to reporters then who can, um, you know, sometimes they'll have a, a bigger platform than just it being on our website and languishing there. Um, and so we've been able to break a number of stories over the past few weeks, which is, really encouraging, you know, and, and every time that happens, it makes, it raises just a little bit more awareness with people, people realizing, oh, this is happening in the town over for me. And then they right. know what to keep an eye out for. They know what the terms to listen for are. They kind of know what to be vigilant about. And so to me, I think, you know, this is starting to, this has the potential really to implement a lot of discipline in the system. And, you know, you, you joked about me being libertarian. It's kind of libertarian as I am. I don't actually think that everybody in the school system is bad. I mean, I think there are a lot of teachers, a lot of, um, you know, principals, superintendents who last summer, they felt that they had to put out a statement, not realizing that the words they chose, you know, sometimes were unconstitutional, sometimes were ill-considered, not understanding the difference between, you know, equity and, and equality, stuff like that. Um, so I think, you know, we, we have to educate kind of everyone across the board. Um, because I think if a principal realizes that something that a teacher is trying to get away with, it might end up on the front page of their paper, might end up on TV tonight, Frankly, it's going to make them think twice about giving, like letting people get away with murder, and that's yeah. what we need. We need more accountability in our system. Well, and and the thought, the thing is, is that it is astonishing to me the boldness with which some of these activist teachers and administrators are acting. And I agree with you; not everyone is bad. We have seen actually IWF has done some work in this area, and we've received letters from actually from teachers saying, "I'm so nervous, I'm so scared, I don't know what to do, I'm really trapped," and so I understand the fear is not just from parents, the fear is also from teachers. But you know, honestly, it's interesting to me, part of the reason that parents defending education exists, and and I know that these incidents don't just happen in public schools, they also happen in private schools. But part of the reason these, these 
organizations like yours are so needed and why these voices are and brave people speaking up is because there isn't school choice. And I, I don't want to, you're like, wait, are we going to get into that? We'll be on for another two hours. And I'm not trying to get into that, but it does say something that part of the reason um, that, th- that the school administrators and some teachers, some activist teachers have become so bold is because people don't have choice. They can't walk away. And when I talk about choice, I also talk about, you know, for instance, I'm doing a system where I'm homeschooling, but I also have a tutor. That is a great expense to us, you know, and so if, you know, the if the government was giving money in various forms to families rather than institutions, you know, I could more afford, you know, more services for my son, um, private services. I could look at different things. He has some really interesting interests and I could tailor his education to that, to those interests instead of, you know, shoving this round, uh, you know, round think what is the phrase round thing into a square hole i can't pu- i can't even oh, think round, but, round peg square hole yeah peg peg square peg yeah. thank you couldn't okay, okay. anyway so that <laughs> so the point is is that it is i think this is all you know the your organization could actually, you know, increase. I know it's not totally related and you don't re- you don't talk about school choice and that's not the mission. But in some ways, I think when people get wind of this, when they see, um, you know, how really some just education in general has gotten so out of control and how kids and families opinions don't matter anymore to many of these administrators and teachers. And again, that's private and public. People are going to want more flexibility. And if that means staying home with their kids and partly homeschooling or joining pods or, you know, um, doing micro schools or online schools, whatever it is, people are going to want to want more choice. And I think your organization is going to help really steer people to understand the importance of school choice. Yeah, I mean, you know, with public schools, this is all being done to our children with our tax dollars against our will, which is just insult to injury. I mean, you know, I think, you know, there are there are things that we could do that would make a big difference overnight if we, you know, if there were greater curriculum transparency, you know, and people knew what their kids were learning. I think there would be, you know, people would be screaming bloody murder. In the state of Texas, there's a law you have to be able to get from a university's home, a public university's homepage to a classroom syllabus within three clicks. I can know what my college sophomore is learning, but I cannot know what my fresh or what my kindergartner is learning. That's insane. Parents deserve to know what their children are learning. And then also, if I don't like it, I should be able to opt my child out of controversial teaching. If states have opt out provisions, it is generally only for very narrow parts of sex ed. Again, we need greater control over this. This should not be a controversial issue. So there are things that can and should happen, but I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, if I don't like it, I'm a customer and I should be able to walk away with my child and my money. And the fact that this is so hard for so many people is is a travesty. Well, I am hoping, I think that, you know, honestly, I'm not one to say, oh, the good part about COVID. Um, But this really has been a remarkable year in terms of educating parents about what their kids are seeing and hearing in the class classroom. You know, just a very quick story. It was the, it was last summer where my son was going to attend the the city's public middle school. And it was, I wrote an article about this, about he came in from, you know, he's playing out in the backyard and I said, Hey, your orientation is starting. And the Dean of his class. So in this middle school, there's a Dean for each class and the Dean of his class at the orientation had several political messages behind his back on a flag. So his background was one of those 
sort of, it looked like a sign that has a bunch of political messages. And I mean, that had nothing to it was very, you know, this was very, this was right after George Floyd's death. And so people were hypersensitive about things. And it was definitely a time where everybody was talking about that issue. But this is a orientation for an 11 year old. I, it just, it made, it kind of made, I could tell he was sort of nervous when he saw that and thought, oh dear, you know, it's going to be, but it is not the first I had dealt with it. I had, I had been, I have been, had been dealing with um, increasing politicalization within the school for years. So I knew at that point we're done. And that was the thing that really was the straw. Um, but again, I was able to make that choice financially. We were able to get him out of there and enroll him in a different school. You know, the fact that more parents can't do that, um, is both sad, but it's also why your organization needs to exist. And I'm so glad it does exist, Nikki. And I'm thrilled, um, about the women, um, that are working with you. This is just a great organization. So tell everyone where they can find you and, um, and you know, the, the links and, and, um, where you are on Twitter and all that. Sure. So yeah, the website is defendinged.org. Um, and then we are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, I think, honestly, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but the Twitter is definitely defendinged.org. Um, and if you look it up in Facebook, it should pop up because Facebook knows everything. I really do encourage everyone to go uh, to defending, uh, to, to parents defending education. But mostly I encourage you all to look at how you can you can submit a tip. You can fill out, um, you know, information for their map so that other people in your community can go to that map. But more than that, share that this exists um, with your parent group, with your social group. Um, make sure that parents know that this exists because I think there are a lot of parents who um, it's sort of like when I would fight with people on Facebook and nobody would support me, but then I'd go to school pickup and th- Three or four moms would come up to me and quietly whisper, I saw what you said to this particular PTA mom, and I really appreciate you fall, you know, you um, fighting back. And so there's a lot of scared people who don't want to come out feeling a certain way or don't want to be public, but they they definitely need the resources. So do what you can to share this. And Nikki, thanks so much uh, for coming on and, and sharing this in, very important information. Thanks for having me. So for parents who are, are listening to this and just listen to what Nikki had to say, again, I really do encourage people to, to check out that new organization and um, and follow. I don't know that Nikki's on Twitter, but Erica Sanzi is and Asra Nomani is they are on Twitter. And I really encourage you to follow them because um, they comment on news as it comes down and the organization itself is on Twitter. So I do encourage people to visit the organization and um, and fill out, uh, look at their resources and fill out their tip line. Um, I I don't think, I hope this podcast t- is, is, does something to inform people about how damaging this anti-racism CRT philosophy is among the most vile aspects of this religion. And it is a religion, is that it tells white children that they are racist um, and simply by virtue of having white skin. They are racist and there's no changing it there's no escaping it um if you're oh if you're white you're racist um and then to deny it to say no i'm not a racist um it, it is more proof that you're racist so it's this sort of evil circle um but it that's not it it's what crt does to children of color 
um, I think is much worse. It tells them that they are victims of a racist society, a society that will never recognize their talents or work or hard work. And that's because of the color of their skin. Um, And the theory essentially demands that they remain victims, that they will never overcome the challenges that come um, from living essentially in a deeply racist society, which is America. It is victimology on crack. Um, And so these, these efforts to sort of codify that into school, into school processes and into school policy is going to do great damage. So I hope, um, I hope you took something away from this podcast and I hope you learned something. Nikki, uh, Neely's new organization is really there to help parents. So I encourage everyone to check it out and learn more about this really important issue. Thanks everyone for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get Bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.